Is there a war in this country over education? CNN thinks so, and it hosted a live town hall on that subject with our very own governor, Glenn Youngkin. We'll share the highlights. Plus, there's a shakeup brewing in the General Assembly with an unprecedented number of legislators calling it quits. What does this mean for us? Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. All right, well, before we begin today's show, I just have to share the most adorable story that Eli told me about. And I should mention that Eli is our grassroots manager. He's sitting in here. He helps us with our podcast. And he shared this story about how he and his wife met and a Chick-fil-A cookie played a key part in this whole thing. So, Eli, you want to elaborate? Oh, yeah. So one of my first jobs in college was being a bagger at Chick-fil-A. And, well, there's this pretty girl that walks up that I'd loosely known from our college ministry. She orders her meal. It was running a little bit behind. So when I bagged her food, I slipped a little gift of a Chick-fil-A cookie in there, gave her a smile, sent her on her way. She tells the story now that when she got back to her room, she shows her roommate the cookie and says, well, this boy cannot just give me a cookie and not marry me. So so long story short, this cookie was was the seed that ended up being our marriage. <laughs> I'm impressed that she identified like I would marry this boy from a cookie. Like I, I think that's apparently that's like a really powerful pickup method. Is Chick Fil A cookie speaks volumes? Who knew? I mean, I'm a little worried because I have a teenager working at Chick Fil A, so I and it's a girl, so I'm a little worried about this. How this whole story fleshes out because she's a little young for all these, um, you know, pickup lines and cookies. All right, well, diving right into the topics for today. I know we promised everybody that we were going to talk about or give you an update on what was happening with this gridlock that's going on with the General Assembly on the budget because it affects issues that we care about, you know, things like uh, funding for abortions and the opportunity scholarships for impoverished kids being able to afford an education that helps them. Um, But they're still in the gridlock as far as the time that we are taping right now. Um, I know that's a big shocker for government to still be gridlocked for an uh, unknowable amount of time, but that's where we are. So we'll have to punt on that for now. But instead, we thought it would be good to give you highlights from this war on education town hall that the governor did with CNN. So let's just start with some context here. Why do you think what is probably the world's largest leftist media operation, CNN, why do they want to have a conservative governor on for an entire hour? And then why did he want to participate? Well, okay, I think there's a couple things here. We do know CNN's ratings have been struggling because they have been so far left. They're outside the mainstream. And so I think they are doing some proactive things, if you look at who they've hired and things going on right now, to try to look a little more mainstream. So this looks a little more mainstream. It's a topic that's hot everywhere. It's not just a Virginia issue. So I think, you know, it appeals to people generally, this parents' education thing. And then there's, of course, the whole background of is Governor Youngkin going to run for president? And so I think they think we might have a presidential contender. And that gets to why would he do it? Um, There's a lot of benefit to get in front of a national audience if you need name ID, if you're thinking about in any way, shape or form jumping into especially 2024 because you don't have that much name ID built yet because you haven't been our governor very long. Yeah. And interestingly, when Jake Tapper did ask him the presidential aspiration question, you know, he seemed a little (laughs) conflicted on it. He always sounds like he's... um, 
unsure, unclear. I think he's got to get a better answer to that one way or the other. I, I just think it, it, it seems a little, of course, we know you're thinking about it. So just acknowledge the obvious and then say, but I'm focused on Virginia right now. And he did get to that. Yeah. But I feel like it just needs to be a little punchier because he gets asked that question like every week in every interview now. I always feel like he's still struggling inside about it. And I'm that sure kind he of... probably is, actually, because <laughs> yeah. there's not a clear path for him. Um, there was one of his chief people actually went on a radio interview and said it's a two-man race between DeSantis and Trump, which um, is not ideal when it's your your, your guy. Yeah. So then he had to backtrack and say, well, if Youngkin gets in, he's going to make his own path. So anyway, all that to say, I think he is probably struggling internally yeah. about what he's going to do. But, you know, another good thing about this town hall is that it speaks to the fact that Virginia is playing a key role nationwide on these education issues. Absolutely. It puts Virginia in the in the spotlight, which I think it has been on these education issues. But it just I think it's clear that he won on that issue. And I think it's clear that that issue is not resolved. It is still very much in the forefront of every parent, every you know, everybody across America. So, And to that point, he did not back off that parental rights messaging, right, during this town hall. He did an excellent job of, I mean, almost, it's almost a communication, uh, you know, sort of principle, repeat, repeat, repeat. And he said parents matter over mm-hmm. and over and over again and kept coming back to that theme. And that, I think, is what won him the election. And I think it is what will continue to make him a successful governor. Yeah. Well, just kind of getting into the nitty gritty here, I guess it's really no surprise that they grilled him on this parent friendly revision that he's done on the model policies concerning transgender issues in schools. And one of the most compelling moments was this exchange that he had with a student named Nico. Let's just listen to that for a minute. Transgender model policies require that students play on the sports teams and use the restrooms that correspond with their sex assigned at birth. Look at me. I am a transgender man. Do you really think that the girls in my high school would feel comfortable sharing a restroom with me? So first of all, Nico, thank you for again asking the question and being here tonight and uh, engaging in this important discussion. I believe first, when parents are engaged with their children, then you can make good decisions together. And I met your dad and I'm glad that you're both here together. That's really, really important. I also think that there are lots of students involved in this decision. And what's, what's most important is that we try very hard to accommodate students. That's why I have said many, many times, we just need extra bathrooms in schools. We need gender neutral bathrooms. And so people can use a bathroom that they in fact are comfortable with. I think sports are very clear and I don't think it's controversial. I don't think that biological boys should be playing sports with biological girls. Uh, there's been decades of efforts in order to gain opportunities for women in sports. And it's just not fair. All right, Victoria, what did you think of the governor's response, you know, about, well, we can just have extra bathrooms, gender neutral options? Well, I really do think it's a hard situation. And I think the left always thinks that we believe certain things. But if we actually, you ever hear anybody say, if you actually knew had a transgender person in your family, you'd feel differently. If you actually meet a transgender. I think they literally thought if, if there's somebody there face to face, somehow he's not going to hold the same policy. So I respected the fact that he stood by his gun, said, this is why we're doing it. And he went on to say, look, this is a matter of, and I've always said that, in some to some degree, it's a matter of cost. If bathrooms all had individualized Starbucks-like bathrooms where it's male or female, but you close and lock the door and you can wash your hands and we wouldn't have this issue. And I think that's what he was trying to get at is that we're that there are ways to solve this that do respect everyone and respect privacy rights for all. 
I think he could have talked yeah. a little more about the, the rights of the kids that are also in that bathroom that have to change mm-hmm. and be exposed. I think I think he missed a moment where he could have really put up an exclamation point on it by saying, look, there are girls there that don't want to undress in front of a Their biological boy. Rights. Yeah. Yeah. Well, getting into the area on female rights, I was encouraged by the strength of his response on the issue of protecting female sports. What were your thoughts on that? I love that he just kept saying it's not controversial. I mean, we know there are people that disagree, but I would I would agree. Our polling in Virginia looks like it's 70% say, look, this is something that should be common sense. There are biological differences, and he, and he outlined that. He just said, look, there are biological differences, and I don't think a biological girl should play on a team where she has to compete against a biological boy. I thought he was clear. I thought that was one of his strongest points of the evening. Yeah, I said this shouldn't even be controversial. Right. It's, it's that much common sense. It's common sense. And I think most parents, particularly parents of girls, where they might be losing scholarships, opportunities, you know, championships to a boy, I think many parents can relate to. Why is this even a conversation point? Well, we weren't surprised when Jake Tapper continued to grill yes. down this, even more. This was where they asked the most follow-up <laughs> questions, yeah. these issues, I noticed. Yeah. And one of uh, Jake's follow-up questions was, well, what about when families disagree on this? How are you going to accommodate all families? What did you think about how he navigated that? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a tough question. He's making it sound like, well, if you believe in parents' rights, well, parents' rights don't always agree. Um, and I thought, I thought Governor Youngkin was clear that there are some principles. I mean, he didn't directly say that that way, but he's saying, look, this, this is about fairness and, and, and competition. But he also, in one of those questions, I don't know if this is the, the point at which you're referring, but he also brings up the fact of Sage's story in, in in the whole interview and basically and and we've talked about Sage's law on this podcast before but he basically says look you you may have your rights as a transgender individual but there's also parents that have been on the other side of this that haven't had their rights respected so he was able to bring in her story to say there are two sides to this coin let's not yeah. only focus on one side of this. Yeah, he said, let's talk about the other side, which, of course, the, you know, CNN and corporate media, they rarely, if ever, do the other side. So it was great that he had Sage's grandmother sitting right there in the audience. Yes. And I noticed later the camera went back to her and she was agreeing with him on another point, which I thought was just great um, that she was there. I, I think she's been so brave to share her story that I think it's wonderful that 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 her story was able to be a part of a national platform there. Well, let's just listen to a clip for a moment of the governor responding on that particular point. The other side of not being told what was going on in their child's life. And and uh, I believe that Sage's grandmother is here tonight. She's over there. And uh, hi. And of course, what happened in Sage's life was that uh, counselors and teachers didn't tell Sage's family about the fact that that she was transgender. And she got caught up in some horrific uh, human trafficking issues and and they almost lost her and they didn't they didn't know see there's a basic rule here which is that children belong to parents not to the state not to schools not to bureaucrats but to parents i think it's fantastic that he made the point that kids do not belong to the state that they are fundamentally in the control of their parents and need to be and parents need to be in the loop and he just kept emphasizing that over and over and i think that that goes a long way with most people. Yes. Another interesting moment was when Jake Tapper asked him about this situation going on in Fairfax County where a lot of schools actually withheld awarding academic merit certificates to kids. You know, this can affect their scholarship, their ability to apply for scholarships. Um, so I thought that was really interesting how I navigated that. Let's just listen to a clip of his response. But of course, what was what was suggested and communicated um, by senior officials in schools was exactly that, that they had held back uh, notifying students of their national merit 
commendation because they didn't want other students to feel bad. And this was more than just one case. Next thing you know, we, we, have, we have over 16 or 17 schools across one school district that this was happening in. The reality is that, that when a school hires consultants to come in and teach equity for all students, equal outcomes for all students at any cost, we end up with these kinds of circumstances. We have to celebrate excellence. We shouldn't embrace equity at the expense of excellence. Yeah, I loved the passion that he gave to this issue. I mean, we know he cares about it because he asked the attorney general to look into it. And I think it's great that he's showing that it matters. I also like when he talks about education, and he said this at one point, I don't remember if it's tied to this moment, but he but he talked about, we're not just trying to raise, the, we're trying to raise the ceiling, but we're also trying to raise the floor. So what he's saying is we want to allow people who can soar to soar to their highest heights, but we also want the bottom to come up. Our standards need to get better. And I think he does a good job when he says things like that, saying, look, we're, we're paying attention to everybody, but there are kids who are going to soar. They're going to bump into that. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're reaching the highest heights. They're, you know, and these kids deserve that, that, uh, that knowledge that they had done so well. Yeah, he was really strong just on the whole issue of critical race theory, equity, and just saying these things should not be done at the expense of excellence in our schools. And you remember he referenced uh, white privilege bingo out of Fairfax. I think we've hit that (laughs) on this podcast before. Um, Yeah. (laughs) What a remember. Loudon. It was just in the Nova area. My child was watching with me and he said, what is white privilege bingo? (laughs) So I had to tell him this ridiculous game. But yeah, Yeah. I think that that deserves a mention how ridiculous that is. Well, was there anything else that stood out to you while you were watching this? Well, I think he got some tough questions on Pledge of Allegiance, and I thought he stood strong on, look, that we should be proud of our country. You know, he got a hard question on on gun control, and he got back to the mental health issues that drive behind. I mean, we've had some terrible things happen in classrooms. I thought the most important thing is that he treated every questioner with kindness, yeah. and that's really a, a hallmark of, of Governor Yunkin. You know, he applauded the teachers for serving. He was proud of the kids for asking their questions, mm-hmm. even though they obviously weren't coming from the same mm-hmm. angle. So I think that that was a, a favorable overall impression. All right, before we get going on this topic about all the retirements happening in the General Assembly, I just want to make sure that everybody remembers, if you want to learn more about what we're talking about on this podcast, be sure to check us out at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. And in particular, we have a resource on their website right now that gives a summary of the outcomes of the 2023 General Assembly. So it's got a a nice little easy-to-use wins losses chart so be sure to check that out familyfoundation.org so jumping right in here we were going to address this shakeup going on in the general assembly there's been a surprising number of retirements happening with state representatives who've been suddenly announcing that they're going to retire um the amount of people leaving is historically unprecedented, right? Yeah, I think it's like 23 in total so far, and that number may rise even further. And we know there's even even what's left. There's 16 legislators who will go against each other in a primary. So we will lose eight more, inevitably. Somebody wow. has to win, somebody has to lose. So we're going to be at like at least over 30 on people that won't be there next year. It's kind of wild. Yeah, and I saw this one political analyst saying this could actually mean a turnover just when you combine all the factors of somewhere around 20% in the General Assembly. And when they talk about the combined years of total experience, we're at like 390, we're almost at like 400 years of experience when you put it all together, just gone, you know? So that's pretty crazy. So what do you think that means for uh, how it's gonna impact next year? Well, there is some need for some institutional knowledge and that gets hard, like running committees and how things have been done before and those kind of things get a little bit lost when you have that much turnover. But 
I don't always love the way things have been. Yeah. So some outsiders shake things up and and sometimes provide a a fresh perspective, a different way. So it could be good. Yeah. If they don't know as much, there's opportunity for us to come in and do stuff. Although they say sometimes the enemy that you know is better than the enemy you don't know. So it depends on whether we're talking opponents or friends or (laughs) how we look at it. That's fair. Well, we thought we'd have a little fun with this because there are some legislators that we really are very sorry to see go. And there are some that we're not so sorry to see leave. (laughs) Bye bye. So let's just start with the ones that we might just say, okay, well, we'll kindly hold the door open for you as you leave. All right. Do I get to pick? Yeah. All right. I'm going to start with. Delegate Fillercorn. So um, this is someone who really is a major player in the House of Delegates. She was the majority leader when there were several years of Democrat control. Um, this was under Governor Northam. Um, she's extremely liberal and sometimes extremely hostile to what we believe. And most notably, I mean, I think she literally has almost a reputation for this because she was Speaker of the House during the time of COVID. Honestly, you went into this whole situation where she just put up all these protocols. I mean, it couldn't have been more restrictive and looked more ridiculous. I mean, I think our legislature even was sort of weirder looking and more spaced out and in weird locations than even well, other ones. Weren't I mean, they voting remotely? I mean, it made right. it hard to track votes, Yes. Right? I mean, she just had this um, crazy reaction to COVID, and that was unwelcomed <laughs> by some of us. Yeah, and she's been a staunch proponent of abortion. Yeah, I mean, her voting record would be opposite of everything that we believe. And um, and she's pretty aggressive when she speaks about our issues, um, not just against the policies, but mm-hmm. even against the, the people who hold these views. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, speaking of that, recently she was one of those who basically accused supporters of the Fairness and Female Sports Bill, um, you know, Basically, those who dare to challenge this idea that biological boys should compete on girls' teams. Um, She basically said all those people are mean-spirited. Let's just listen to that clip. I'd like to say that I've had the opportunity to serve in this body for many, many years, since 2010. And I think about when we come to the Commonwealth as legislators, as Virginia legislators, we come here to solve a problem. Uh, We come here to improve the lives of Virginians. I feel like this bill is mean-spirited, it's discriminatory, um, and certainly offensive. Yeah, so it's for all these reasons and more that I'm not disappointed to say goodbye, Delegate Fillercorn. Bye-bye. But wait, because she actually might be coming back in the door. Yeah, this is the unfortunate part. Most people believe she's stepping out, but she is actually circling back to run for governor in the next go-round. So I don't think we've seen the last of her. It's not even really a a well-hidden secret that she's basically just going to start working on her governor campaign. So, yeah. All right, but we maybe we'll have Lieutenant Governor Sears. She has to win that, and we'd like to think that she will. Maybe Lieutenant Governor Sears and maybe even Jason Mears. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll have some competition. Right, exactly. Well, there's going to be competition even on her side. A lot of people think uh, Congressman Spamberger and some others are going to run. So she's she doesn't have a clear path, but yeah. All right. Well, tell us about the longest-serving member of the Senate who is current 
majority leader, and that is Senator Dick Saslaw from Fairfax. Yeah, he's been around a long time, the whole time I've been in <laughs> around the Family Foundation, and he is aggressive against all of our issues. I think most notably because he sits on Senate Education and Health. He has blocked every ounce of abortion bill he possibly could when he's been in office. Very, very pro Planned Parenthood and NARAL, and um, and most annoyingly, any abortion bill that would ever come up, he would make this comment about back to when we had um, partial birth abortion, and it went to the court, and he'd talk about how much money is the state going to waste if we pass this bill because it's going to be challenged and struck down in court. Like, he would say that every single time time as if that like as if he never ever passed another bill that would ever end up in court it's yeah it's, and, it's and even though we're already spending money on abortions and wasting yeah, money that way correct right? and it was just so so annoying he was also on the wrong side of history if you remember when we passed that bill dealing with sexually explicit content in uh textbooks you know classroom books yeah. and um I'll, I'll never forget he, he made this comment if you think we pass this and 15 16 17 year olds even 14 year olds have no way of finding this stuff anyway like as if it should be in the classroom because it exists out there and they might find it somewhere yeah. let's just give more of it let's just yeah Yeah. he's absurd well i guess the long and short of that is goodbye senator sasla bye bye all right well let's take a look at some of the champions of family values headed out the door sadly and of course one of those at the top of the list is delegate kathy byron yeah i think this is certainly one of the most disappointing retirements although everybody gets to retire at some point Political life is not meant to be your entire lifetime, and she has been there for a long time. But but she has been such a champion, particularly of life issues, many issues, but really of life issues. And I would say this, she carried to date in my entire time at the Family Foundation, the hardest bill we've ever had to deal with getting passed. And that was a a bill that basically said a woman has a right to see her ultrasound when she considers an abortion, right? So we called it a window to the womb. And it received such aggressive pressure, not just at the state level, but I mean, it was mocked on, on nighttime you know, TV shows and the whole nine yards. And she stood her ground, which is not true of we had a Senate patron who actually dropped the bill. Mm. So when you think about what she weathered to be the sponsor of that bill, but it went into law and it had a huge effect for many years until the liberals took it out. And so Mm. we can't pay her enough gratitude for what she did during that. Thank you, Kathy. We are sorry to see you go. And, you know, we were talking about uh, Senate Majority Leader Dick Saslaw, who is leaving this year. But there's also someone on the conservative side who has served as majority leader. Um, But right now he is the minority leader in the Senate. And that's Tommy Normant uh, from Williamsburg. And I saw a news report that he's considered one of the most powerful players over the years in the state capitol. Yeah, there's without a doubt that if you think of who wields power at the capitol, his name comes to the front. And that's whether they're in the minority or in the majority. He is a a broker of what will and won't happen in the Senate. And anything we've ever passed through the Senate has had to go through him. He has had to bless it and say, I can live with this. You know, he's not necessarily as conservative as some, so he may not love everything that we do. But even when we've passed pro-life bills, we've literally had to negotiate them with him because we've never had so many votes in the Senate that are pro-life that it's been easy to do. And um, he sort of wields a you know, <laughs> you know, a great amount of power over even his other Republican peers. Now, he was in a head-to-head primary, and so he was going to have to face another Republican for his seat. I still didn't think, I thought, I really didn't think he would step out. So I'm really surprised to see that. And it will change the power dynamics in the Senate dramatically. So when they come back, um, whoever's in control, Republicans or Democrats, there will be a new leader of the Republican Party in the Senate one way or the other. And that's a pretty big deal because he's really been in leadership for like 20 years. Good. 
Well, it's that time again. Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! To start this week's Inconceivable Award off, I just want to disclose something that I haven't made public yet. And that is that I was yelled at by a security guard in the Smithsonian <laughs> National History Museum. <laughs> you don't strike me as the rowdy visitor type, but... <laughs> let you make your own judgment on this story. This guy shouted at me from across a whole room full of people that I was trespassing. <laughs> Were you so, behind like one of those, you know, those ribbons? No. The, okay. Here's what Were happened. Were you touching the Declaration of Independence no. or the Constitution? I was not trying okay. to steal the Hope Diamond. Okay. Um, here's what happened. <laughs> Is they were closing the museum a little bit early and, you know, we, we were on a higher level floor. And so everybody, like 120 people just conglomerated on the escalator. Okay. And I had worn the wrong shoes to walk around on concrete floors all day. <laughs> and I was really hurting. So I sat down on a little couch thinking that I'm just going to wait for the conglomeration to ease up. And the security guard comes up to me and says, ma'am, you got to leave. And I said, I'm, my feet are hurting. I'm just going to wait for that crowd to ease up a little bit. Well, apparently she thought, you know, she needed to get bigger guns. <laughs> so she went and got someone else who's literally yelling at me full volume from 10 feet away that I'm trespassing. It was closing time, Candy, and they wanted to go home. <laughs> so I said, as soon, so I went to an elevator and I said, you can't tell me I can't sit. I'm just hurt a little bit. <laughs> and I'm going to get up as soon as the elevator light turns green. <laughs> so then they left me alone. <laughs> they wanted to go home, Candy. They wanted to go home. And you were There's clearly between... There's 120 people. <laughs> but you were, you were in their mind. Well, the Smithsonian part of this did make me think about this week's Inconceivable. Um, and this is a little bit older news, but I think it flew under the radar for most people. And that is this poor little group of high school students, they're Catholic high school students, that decided to visit the one of the, the Smithsonian museums, and this one was the Air and Space one. And so right after the march ended, the March for Life, they went into this museum and walked around with their parent chaperone, and they, uh, they all had on these little adorable beanies that said pro-life rosary. Yeah, I mean, when I saw this news story, these kids just had finished participating in the National March for Life, right? So I was there. Everybody's got, you know, yeah. stickers and signs and, and hats and shirts and all of it. So they've just come from this event and they simply go to the, the museum still wearing what they were wearing. And so they apparently tried to explain that these beanies are a visual aid and they help keep their group together, right? So like I can count noses. Because mm -hmm. you see entire school groups there and I think, how do they not lose their kids? It makes me nervous actually. I mean, good for them. Scary for the teachers that are in charge, but they basically explained it. But apparently in response, some security workers actually mocked them for it and then even used expletives and basically told them that they had to leave because they didn't take their beanies off. Um, and now this is all according to the, the, the legal report that we get from the American Center for Law and Justice. But it's and they're they're defending these kids. But, but it's pretty disturbing. Yeah, I saw this tweet posted by a mom of one of the students. And I mean, you look at these hats. They're the cutest little things. <laughs> they don't even have picture or anything. It's just the words pro-life rosary. That's it. 
And so I, it's hard to imagine using crude language about these hats. I'm just wondering what's the dress code at the Smithsonian because I've seen all sorts of things with <laughs> yeah. people walking in. I don't, I don't understand how they can even remotely start to question what somebody's wearing. Right. And, you know, I mean, we just talked last week about Catholics being targeted. Right. So it's not looking like a good trend right now. I know. It does seem like there's this extra bias uh, simply because it, I don't know. I don't know if it was the rosary reference or what it was. Yeah, the rosaries are a lot more controversial than we thought. Yeah, and and that's not all. I mean, this is not the only thing. On the same day, some other group of kids, uh, it was actually a not even a group. It was a grandmother and her grandchildren. Well, they, went, they had, it was like just was different like, groups of people. There yeah. were law students and this grandmother. And, uh, it's just yeah. ridiculous. So they apparently tried to visit the National Archives. So again, we're talking about, now this is what's interesting about this one is, this is the place that preserves and celebrates the original draft of our Constitution. I mean, this is supposed to be the place, I would say, that they should understand free speech. The Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights. I mean, all the things that matter. But apparently these people were asked to cover or remove their pro-life hats, buttons, uh, other things that they were wearing. And some of these people that this happened to pointed out that they're not that far away. They're standing like just a few feet away. Can you from go the read actual the words? Can you actually? Hey, rights. security guard, come over here. Can I show you something? I, I'm highly disturbed about that kind of a thing. I mean, and again, we're not talking about really shocking, offensive apparel. I, I mean, guarantee you somebody walked in with a large expletive on a shirt and no one has said anything. Yeah. It's only when they're conservative things do all of a sudden they, they find a front. Because I'm telling you, look around Washington, D.C. when you're there and see what people are wearing. And I guarantee you they walk into the museums like that. Well, the good news is both the Smithsonian and the National Archives Museums uh, it looks like they gave very sincere apologies and took some action to correct what they was happening. They need training. I hope they trained everybody. Yeah, I don't know if you just train security guards on the First Amendment now. <laughs> Apparently they're going to have to, or the, or even just the rules of the dress code of, of what can happen, because they better have taken action. But that wouldn't cover me having the right to sit on a bench, right? Like, that's not First Amendment. No, I don't exactly know how you get away with that. Closing time is closing time, and yeah. But you can sit. Well, anyway, we'll argue about that later. Um <laughs> All right, so I guess that means that we've got to award this week's Inconceivable to security personnel who, while supposed to be protecting our national documents, the Constitution, original Constitution and Bill of Rights, um, look like they're taking actions that actually violate it. All right, well, thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up, Virginia. We're so glad you're with us. And don't forget, if you want to learn more about what we're talking about, to check us out on the website, familyfoundation.org. And uh, make sure that you share our podcast with your friends and give us a review if you like what you're hearing. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.